I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so last time I started talking about the design of Torment, the black set. So it was the second set in the Odyssey block. It had a weighted design toward black. Um, and last time I, I talked about the design team and walked through the major mechanics. So today I'm going to start talking card by card. Um, I feel that one of the things that helps me sort of talk about the set is that I just kind of give individual stories of cards. I, I kind of hit a lot of the different things we were doing. And so I looked through the set and picked a whole bunch of cards that sort of both either are famous standouts from the set that I could talk about or just did something very typical so I could talk about how we designed the set. Okay, since I go in alphabetical order, the first card is going to be um, Ambassador Laquatus. Um, so he was a 1UU1-3 that for three mana you could mill three. Uh, mill means you take uh, the cards from the top of the library and put them directly into the graveyard. Um, okay, so the interesting thing about him was he was a merfolk. Well, why is that interesting? Because there were no merfolk. So when I first made Odyssey, I came up with the idea that we would um, replace most of the traditional creature types with new ones just to shake things up a bit. Instead of goblins, we had dwarves. Instead of elves, we had uh, centaurs. And, you know, I was just trying to change things up. So instead of merfolk, we had cephalids. Yeah, I know, it doesn't sound like... In retrospect, with 2020 vision, it maybe doesn't sound like the greatest idea. But we decided to shift away from merfolk. Now, obviously, Onslaught would follow Odyssey. It was a horrible mistake. But we didn't know we were doing tribal when we did this. But anyway, there were no merfolk. So the people who were writing the story had this awesome idea for this merfolk... The main enemy was a merfolk. He, he was the antagonist of the story. And I said, oh, but there's no merfolk. And, and so he ended up being like this big plot point. Like he, he was the only merfolk that he had moved there from somewhere else. And like he was alone and alone merfolk. Uh, but it became a big deal that like they really wanted him to be merfolk. Like, okay, well, his defining quality is he's the only merfolk. I guess he could be the merfolk in the set. Um, but in the entire block, there is one merfolk. And it is Ambassador Laquatus. Next, Aquamoeba. 1U, 1-3, discard a card to change its power toughness. I love power toughness swapping. I, there's a whole bunch of things I like, to be fair. Um, something about it always tickled my funny bone. I, I just enjoy it. But it is a problem, child. And if you notice, we really stopped doing it all that much. Uh, and the reason is that like, when you swap power toughness, originally when you would swap power and toughness, it would say on it, well, from... For the rest of the turn, whatever affects power affects toughness and such. Uh, and anyway, that got really confusing and sort of like what would happen and you do effects. And anyway, um, we do it occasionally. We tend not to do it common. Or if we do it, we do it in such a way where it doesn't allow other effects. Like you'll notice now it's very common for us to put uh, hex proof on things that can swap their power toughness so that no one else can interact with it. So that you know, you know, you just know what, what, what can... Although, Shroud was better than Hexproof, because Hexproof, you can interact with it. Shroud was like, no one can interact with it, so uh, we would, back when Shroud was being supported, we would do Shroud with power toughness swapping. Anyway, um, one of the reasons, this, this card's a good example of, we had Madness in the set, we had Threshold in the set, we had Flashback in the set, that there was a lot of enabling going on. And so, um, if you look through the set, it is, in fact, the whole block is, it's just, this whole block is dripping with things that discard cards for effect. Um, and one of the problems with the block was that most players don't really want to discard cards for effects. Now, if they believe that they are 
Like, the reason, for example, in Mercadian Masks, we had the spell shapers. The spell shapers people took a little better because it feels like I'm turning the spell in my hand into another spell. I'm not losing the card. I'm just changing it from what it is into a different spell. But a lot of these cards, like, you know, oh, I can discard a card and change my 1-3 into a 3-1, didn't feel substantial enough. I mean, it could really matter, and often it allows you to kill things. So, I mean, the, the correct play a lot of the times was to discard cards when it mattered, um, but players didn't like doing it, or not enough of the players liked doing it. So I think one of the problems with this block was was cards like this that sort of like had an incremental advantage of discarding a card. I mean, you could get extra damage and you could kill something. I mean, it wasn't it was by no means meaningless. Uh, and I think the good players understood when to do it. But the, the, we found a lot of the lower level players just didn't want to discard a card to swap the power toughness of uh, Aquamiba and stuff like that. Uh, I also like the name Aquamiba. Um, so if you remember correctly, in Odyssey, I was in charge of all the names. Um, come for this set, I had hired somebody. Uh, his name was Ray, Ray Nakasawa. And I think Ray did the names and flavor text for this set. Uh, he was around for Odyssey, and I was sort of training him. Um, and then he sort of took the, took the reign for this set. Uh, a bunch of the names in this set were carryovers. I had come up with a lot of names for Odyssey that didn't get used. I'll talk about a few of those, or at least one of those coming up. Um, but uh, anyway, I... Uh, I like Aquamiba. It, it tickles my funny bone. Arrogant Worm. I bring this up only because I, off the top of my head yesterday, uh, got it wrong, and so I, I felt obligated. So uh, Arrogant Worm is a 3GG, th- 3 green green. Uh, it's funny, by the way, that when I'm saying this, I have them written down, and in my head, I actually am so used to reading the letters that I don't even say green. Like, I, I'll say 3GG, not 3 green green, even though green and G are not much harder to say. I just, in my head, somehow, because I'm reading it. Uh, but three green green, uh, four four trample, madness two G two 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 and a green. Um, so by the way, real quickly, the way uh, R and D talks about mana costs, I'll bring this up just because it's a topic. Is we pronounce them as you read them from left to right. So for example, if arrogant worm is three colorless and a green mana and a green mana, we say three green green or often three G G. Um, so for example, his madness cost is two G or two and green. Uh, if, if it was green and a green, we would say green green or GG. Like counterspell is UU, not 2U, because 2U is two colors and blue. Anyway. Um, Arrogant Worm was one of the, one of the uh, best of the Madness cards. In fact, Basking Rootwall and Arrogant Worm were two of the really good ones, and they went in the same deck. Um, and so they're definitely... Um, one of the things we tend to do is we like pushing mechanics in certain colors, just so there's an the emphasis... Um, whether we made a conscious effort to make green the madness color, I mean, blue had a bunch of good madness cards too, we'll get to that, but uh, green definitely had a, a creature madness, was kind of green's thing. Uh, next, Balshin Collaborator. 3U, 2-2 flying, for black, you can give it plus one, plus one. So, one of the things we did, this is, I, some of the cards I'm bringing up, not because they were particularly famous cards, but because they demonstrate something important. Um, by the way, it is raining today, and I can tell that you guys might get a little extra content what I call the rain, the Seattle rain bonus. Because people in Seattle, let's just say drive slowly in the rain. Maybe correctly. Okay, um, so what the Bolshan collaborator is showing is that we were trying very hard to show that black was the enemy of white and green, as it always is, and black is the ally of blue and red. And that in this set, blue and red aren't helping, like, blue's ally is black and red's ally is black. Blue's not helping white. Red's not helping green. Those white and green are enemies of the state in the set. And so um, blue and red are only helping black. 
So this card is a good example where we do an off-color, but the off-color is in black. If you notice, blue and red cards are either helping black or hurting their enemies. Uh, we'll get, I, have, I have an example of that coming up. But, um, so anyway, one of the things that we worked really hard to do is uh, this set really makes you want to play black. That Not only are there more black cards, but the red and blue cards, many of them are played well when you play them with black. As a perfect example, oh, wait, 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 we'll get that in a second. Uh, next is Ball of the Stout. Actually, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going out of, of order to uh, Barbarian Outcast, which is the next one I want to talk about. Then I'll go back to Ball of the Stout. Uh, Barbarian Outcast is a 1R2-2 that you have to sack the creature if there's no swamps. Now, it's funny, by the way, the idea that like a, like a 1R2-2 is so awesome that, you know, I can't run it without black. Um, I mean, not, not that we today do a 1R2-2, but we, we, we've been more aggressive um, but anyway, that's an example of, like, it's a red card that you really need black. Like, the blue card, you might, might play that in limited. 3U for 2-2 two, two flyer, I mean, it's not a great card, but if you really need it, maybe you'll play it. But with black, it's a very good card, right? If you have black in your, if you're playing blue black, you for sure want to play that card. Um, uh, and the, the Barbarian Outcast, I mean, you're not even going to play that unless you're playing red black. You're not, mono red's not going to play that, you can't play that card. So, um, there are definitely a lot of cards that, while not in black, heavily encourage the, the play of black. Okay, now let's get to Balthar the Stout. So in the story, the main character was Kamal, um, who was a, a pit fighter. So I, I won't get major in the story, but um, uh, on Ataria, which is a continent of um, Dominaria, there were uh, these pit fights. Uh, Kamal was a pit fighter, so he fought in the pits. And I, I think the pits were run by the Cabal. Um, and anyway... Uh, the, st- the story of uh, Torment is a story of Chainer, who's, we'll get to his card in a sec, but he's one of the um, members of the Cabal. Uh, he ends up getting his hands on the Mirari, which is a super powerful thing, and then one's chasing in the, in the set. Uh, and Kamal and Chainer become friends for a while. Um, anyway, uh, but Kamal's sort of mentor, if you will, is a dwarf. A dwarf named Balthor. Balthor the Stout. Um... And so we wanted to sort of play up the idea that he was helpful. And so what we did is we made him a barbarian lord because Kamal was a barbarian. And so we were trying to play into, um, you know, trying to make... Uh, the interesting thing when you do character cards is you want to sort of make a card that's fun and interesting. And we had never, I believe, had never done a barbarian lord before. So we were making a barbarian lord. So that was new. We knew people, you know, there were enough barbarians in Magic that you could piece together a barbarian deck. Also, uh, Odyssey Block had a decent number of barbarians in it. Um, but anyway, you could make a barbarian deck. But also, it was kind of flavorful. He was, he, you know, he, he trained, I think he trained warriors is what he did. Balthar was out. Um, so he, by the way, was a 1RR. He had fire breathing. He's a 2-2. He had fire breathing, so R plus 1 plus 0 to end of turn. And he gave all barbarians plus 1 plus 1. So, um... I mean, he was meant for build a run. You could build sort of a, a, a deck with him with barbarians. Um, the interesting thing about him is he later gets killed in the story, and when we get to Judgment, we haven't seen the last of Belthar Stout. Well, he's not stout anymore, but you haven't seen the last of Belthar. Um, the, he gets killed, I think, by the Cabal, I believe. But anyway, in, in Judgment, when I get to Judgment, um, uh, the idea is, I'm, I mean, after I'm done doing uh, Torment, I will, you know, do some other stuff. But when, the next set I plan on doing after Torment is Judgment. Um, so I, I want to do a little bit more of talking whole blocks and stuff. So I'm, 
trying to get a little more meta in my podcasting. Next is Basking Root Walla. So Root Walla was a card in um, Tempest. And uh, it's a green creature that allows you to, one time per turn, pump itself up. So we like that ability. We, in fact, R&D calls it the Root Walla ability. And the idea is green kind of has a giant growth, a built-in giant growth. But the difference between green and black uh, or green and red. Red is fire breathing. It can pump up its power. Black has the shade ability. It can pump up power and toughness. Green, it has burst. So when it, it doesn't tend to pump one, plus one, plus one. It pumps up more. Plus two, plus two, or plus three, plus three. So Basking Root Wall is one G for plus two, plus two. It's a one, one creature for G. Um, what makes Basking Root Wall uh, extra good is it is madness zero. So one of the things we try to do from time to time is we, there is great power in zero. Zero is sexy because it's, when people look at a card and like, I can do this for free, they get excited. Free is exciting. Zero means free. And people like free. Now, we have to be careful with free. Free is dangerous. Free has burned R&D on many an occasion. Um, but Basking Root I mean, one of the things that was awesome about Basking Root Walla was that if I needed to discard something, literally, it's like it was a free discard. Like, not, not more than free. Free... When meant that I get the card back. This, I get the card in play. Like, I discard the card, and not only do I get the benefit of whatever I discarded the card for, but I also just get my guy in play cheaper than if I cast him. So it's like, it like an extra bonus. Like, you know, not only did I get benefit for discarding something, but I get it in play. Anyway, he proved to be pretty good. Um, too good? Probably not, although maybe. Uh, like I said, power level, not my thing. Speaking of too good, we get to Cabal Coffers. So Cabal Coffers is a land that you tap two and tap and add uh, black mana equal to the number of swamps you have. Um, so one of the themes of the set, and I, I'll, I have a bunch of cards I'll talk about, um, is counting up your swamps. So not only um, was there a black theme, but there, one of the things that black has always done is black encourages you to play more black. Black is a color that we, we most often put more colored mana in their mana costs. It's the color that just... Uh, most often what counts at swamps and it, it definitely black has this quality that says hey maybe you want to play more black and this set um, because we knew that more people would be playing black than any other color we encouraged some mono black play just to you know, soak up as much black as we could um, so that you know that it was that we could permeate that a lot of people could play black and that and that we had some people that could be mono black, some people that could splash black, play a lot of like, you know, blue and red cards and stuff. Cabal Coffers, uh, so one of the rules we have is be careful whenever you produce more than one mana with a land. Uh, we do occasionally do it, but every time we do it, not every time, most of the times we do it, it's very powerful. In fact, it's funny, we hadn't done it in a while, and then we did Nyctos in Theros, and oh, look, it's really good. Uh, that's why. Producing multiple mana out of one land is very good. Um, so, by the way, for those that like long podcasts, I'm sitting in traffic because it is raining. Um, so, it is pretty clear to me. Let me check my time. Um, it's pretty clear to me. Oh, we're at 15 already, and I'm not even... Man, I'm not halfway to work, and we are halfway in the podcast. Um, which means I'm going to be late to a meeting. Done! Which means if I get to work, I will have to do a quick sign-off. Um, it's funny, by the way, that most of the time I get to work early enough that I can, if I need to finish something, I'll sit in the car, and I'll talk for a couple minutes and you know, finish up whatever point I'm trying to make. Um, but there's some days you're like, I'm, I got a meeting, I'm rushing, you know, and, uh, and then it's like, quick sign off. I'm here. Bye. See ya. You know? So if I sign off abruptly, 
That is why, because I, 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 I have a meeting. Not that I have a meeting, it's my first design meeting. Uh, it's, not, it's not my team, it's, I, I'm, I'm on the team, but I'm not leading it. But uh, I still don't want to be late in the first meeting, so I, I feel bad. Okay, so, next. Chainer, oh, Chainer Dimension Master. So Chainer, oh, I did not write down his cost. Uh, he's a 3-3, three, three. he gives all nightmares plus one plus one, and for black, 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 pay three life, you can uh, use the activation to reanimate a creature for the turn. And then it exiles at end of turn. I did not write down his cost. Um, my guess is he's, I don't know, six man or something. Um, so, uh, he's another story card. He was the main character of the novel. Um, in fact, interesting, usually the novel has the same name as the set. So, you know, if the set is called Torment, usually the novel is called Torment. But the novel for this time was called Chainer's Torment. So uh, it's one of the few ones where the novel isn't exactly the name of the set that it's, it's coming from. Um, so Chainer was, uh, as, as his name tells you, his dimension master. So one of the things that I, I remember correctly, the way the Cabal worked is that they um, harnessed their own nightmares uh, and they could, or some of them could bring them to life. And so this is what's going on with the nightmares, is that the, the nightmares were a weapon used by the cabal, that they would, they do something to give themselves crazy bad nightmares and then they could bring their nightmares to life and, anyway. Um, so one of the things we did in the set, I talked about this last time with the mechanics, is the nightmares are all creatures that when they come into, at least the black ones, when they come into play, you take something from your opponent and then they get it back once the creature is dead, or at least play. Um, and like I said, that, that ability is now moved into white, but at the time it was black, there were nightmares, oh, they, you know, they're so scary that they, they restrict you while they're in play. Next, we get to Circular Logic. So, to you, instant, counter-target spell, unless this control pays one for every card in your graveyard. Um, so, one of the themes of Odyssey Block was graveyard as resource. There's a bunch of cards to make use of it. In fact, I'll, today I'll talk about a few of them. But there's, there's a lot of, like, eating cards out of your graveyard in the set. Um, also, there's Flashback, you know, uh, Threshold cared about cards in the graveyard. Um... Oh, one of the reasons, by the way, that eating cards at a graveyard was something that we did in this set was we were trying to create some tension with Threshold. What we found was it wasn't that hard to get to Threshold. And so we're like, well, what if we tempt you? And then, like, you know, there's this tension of I want to use cards in my graveyard, but, oh, I want to get a Threshold and try to balance that. Um, like I said, that's super spiky. This is a spiky, spiky block. Um, but there's a lot of interesting tensions. I mean, spikes tend to like tensions where the average players are like, eh, don't. Too hard. Too, too many tensions. We've we got to be careful. I mean, you want to make sure that players uh, have an idea of what they want to do, and they have too many forces going too many different directions. It sends mixed signals, and they get confused. And a little that's okay. I like some tension. But you want to be careful. This set really very much amps up the tension. There's some very strong threshold cards. and some very strong cards that eat cards out of the graveyard. And those kind of want to go in the same deck just because the colors match up, but they fight each other, so... Anyway, Circular Logic, the idea behind Circular Logic was we wanted to have, a, I mean, we wanted some Graveyard Matter cards. Uh, and so one of the things we were looking for is card, cards that cared about how many cards are in your graveyard. What's neat is you start with zero and you get to a lot. So it would be neat to say, here's something that sort of grows over time. So Circular Logic was kind of neat that early on it only, you know, it only, uh, you know, four spiked for a, cu- a couple. Um, or maybe force spikes the wrong word, but that does it for one. But, you know, it's like I'm trying to stop you from doing your spell, and um, 
you know, later in the game, the, the more powerful this thing is. But early on, well, sometimes I'll only need one or two to be able to stop a spell. Um, you'll notice, by the way, as I go through, that uh, while, while this is the black set, and we try to give black a lot of good things, blue really, really shined in this set. Um, for reasons blue often shines. We'll get to the next card, and we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Uh, Compulsion was an enchantment for one U, for one, one in blue. Uh, and for one blue, you could sack a card in your hand to draw a card. Or for one U, you could sack this enchantment to draw a card. So one thing that's clever about this is that this was a whole cycle. Um, the, I, I forgot what I called them yesterday. But uh, they're all neurotic sort of things. They're all, uh, what did I call them yesterday? I could look it up. Um, they were called the disorder enchantments. Because right, they're all disorders. Um, anyway, the idea here was that in each one of them you can discard a card to have an effect or sack the enchantment to have an effect. Well, draw a card is pretty clever because if you do it as an activation, it becomes looting, and blue gets to loot. So for one U, you've got to loot. Okay, blue loot, that's fine. Uh, but also for one U, you could trade the permanent for the cards. Instead of looting, you were drawing. Um, and so the idea was I could loot until the time I really needed to have a card, and then I sacked it to get the card. Compulsion ended up working pretty well. I mean, there's a lot of good blue cards in the set, and that's another one. Um, one of the reasons I think blue, especially in the past, was so strong was a lot of the default things we did in blue were just good. It's just like, oh, we'll let blue draw cards. Oh, okay, well, drawing cards is really good, you know, and if you push it even a little, or a lot of times it's not that we push it, it's just we say, well, if you do this thing, then there's a reward. Oh, well, if I do this thing, then it's cheaper, and okay, now, you know, card drawing is really good. Okay, next we'll talk about Craze Firecat. Five red red, four four. When it enters the battlefield, you flip. You keep flipping coins till you lose, uh, and then you get a plus one con for each coin you flip. Um, now, th luckily, the thing costs seven mana, so it was not uh, a limited staple. This is the kind of card that uh, I get complaints about. We try to make coin flipping cards for the people that like coin flipping, and we try to keep them out of the hands of people that don't like coin flipping. And what we found was um, there's, there's a subset of Timmy's that love coin flipping. Why? It's just dramatic. It's unknown. It's exciting. You know, because, like, when I play this card, there is, there's a tension and drama. What is going to happen? Am I getting a 4-4, a 5-5, a 6-6, a 7-7, an 8-8? How big could it be, you know? I actually watched someone get a 10-10 off this card, which is mathematically unlikely, but it happened. Um, and so it makes a lot of drama. It makes for, it's for an exciting card. Timmy, you know... Some Timmies really enjoy that. Um, there are definitely some spikes, though, that, like, you know, their opponent plays this, or they play it, and they're like, well, I should win once or twice, and no, or, you know, or their opponent plays against them, and, and right, win six times in a row, and they're like, it's a 10-10. Like, you got to be kidding me, you know. Um, that it's, high, it's a high-variance card, and uh, spikes tend not to enjoy the super high-variance cards. Um, so this card, I mean, like I said, it's seven mana. We priced it kind of high. Um... Usually the complaint I get is when we, we, we never cost these for constructed, but sometimes we cost them so that they're playable and limited, and that's when I get the complaints, because it's like, um, you know, I remember an approach, or it wasn't this card, uh, what set was it? There's a card where there's a creature, it's like a 5-5 creature, that when you come into play, you flip a coin, and if you lose, it bounces back to your hand. So you got to flip correctly, and um, there was a player who, like, I don't know, like, five turns in a row lost the coin flip and, like, lost the game. He just needed to get the creature out. He had, like, five turns to get the creature out, and he couldn't, and he lost the game. And he was, like, the, uh, 
there's a lot on the line. Like, really, that's why I'm losing? I'm losing for fucking coin flips? I'm losing for coin flips? Um, anyway, that's why we have to be careful with the coin flipping. Um, okay, next, Dawn of the Dead. So it's an enchantment for two black, 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 um, where the, um, uh, you pay a one-life upkeep, and then you get to reanimate a creature for the turn. At the end of turn, it gets exiled. Um, so one of the things, I, I'm a big fan of zombies, if you did not know. Um, and so one of the things about zombies that I have great enjoyment for is, um, is I like the idea of zombies overrunning people. I mean, obviously, Innistrad played this up to sense. So from time to time, I always make kind of the overrun you with zombies card. Um, and this is my attempt. It's an early attempt. I, I got better at it at the time, but... Um, it's just the idea that, like, okay, every turn i got to keep sending my, my graveyard after you. Um, and anyway, I, I enjoy these kind of cards. Um, I also named it after a famous movie, uh, which is fun. I, I, I have fun naming... When, when the name's appropriate and doesn't stand out, I, I have fun sort of um, using movies as names when, when they're appropriate. Next, we come to Deep Analysis, a.k.a. Uh, a lot of what I've been saying wrapped up. For starters, uh, so there was a cycle of cards that, uh, they're flashback cards that allowed you, they had a cost, so deep analysis was three U, and then all the costs for one and a color, so one blue in this case, one and a blue, uh, and three life, you got to flash it back. Well, you got to draw two cards. Well, two cards for four mana is okay. It was an instant, you know, it's okay, sure, not a bad card, maybe you play that card. Uh, you play unlimited probably for sure, and maybe you construct it, and I construct it. Uh, but one you draw two cards, pay three life is really good, and putting them together, it's extra good. So this card was a very very good card, and like once again, it's just like, well, what does blue do? Blue will do card drawing. Well, card drawing is really good, especially when you get to do it twice, and one of the times you get to do it for not a lot of mana. Um, so this is another card where blue just kind of shine because. It played neatly into what we were doing, and, and it fit the themes very well. Um, I mean, blue has a lot of, of, of library and hand graveyard stuff, so it, it just had a lot of synergy with what was going on. Um, so, uh, I mean, Deep Analysis is one of the best cards in the set. It was very, very good, played by you know, a lot of people. Um, and, uh, oh, the other interesting thing about this is the flavor text, which I did not write down, but it's very important. It's a very... Um, the flavor text is making reference to Mastercore, which was a very powerful card from Urza's Destiny. Uh, I don't know if I said I did. Um, and Deep Analysis has flavor text that is, the, in the art, you see someone who's uh, analyzed, like, like doing an autopsy, I guess, on a, uh, on a Mastercore, and the flavor text is sort of ripping on that. Anyway, it was a very popular piece of flavor text. It is one of the first, if not the first, piece of flavor text that Doug Beyer ever did. Um, and this is long before he was in his current position. This when he was you know, doing computer programming down on the second floor. Um, in fact, this is not even, this is back when we were in the old building, so not even the second floor. But anyway, um, this is, Doug was, um, actually, I, I take that back. He might have been second floor at the time. But anyway, um, uh, Doug was definitely um, doing uh, flavor text at the time while, while he was doing other jobs at Wizards. Uh, he used to work for the web team and did programming. Um, in fact, Doug is the guy, by the way, who made the original Gatherer. He did it in his spare time. Um, little, little side note. Um, okay, so... Um, that's deep analysis. 
Uh, next we have to Faceless Butcher. 2BB, 2-3. When it comes into play, you exile a creature. When it leaves play, uh, the creature comes back. Uh, traditionally, you exile your opponent's creature, although there are shenanigans with you know ETB effects and stuff. You could exile your own creature. Um, so first off, I, t- I told part of this story in the last thing. I'll, I'll tell the end up of it. So what happened was... I was put in charge of names because the creative team kind of disappeared right before Odyssey began, uh, and there, there wasn't a creative team. And so I was tasked with being in charge of names and flavor text and helping find uh, new creative team members. We found Ray, I talked about, um, and I, I was training Ray. Um, and so what I did was, because we were just low on people, is I got a friend of mine, in fact, Mike Ryan, who was the person who did the Weatherlight Saga with me. Um, Michael no longer had at the time worked at the company, so I, uh, Mike freelanced and did a bunch of names. Um, I, and then I used a whole bunch of the names. And one of my favorite names he came up with was Faceless Butcher, which I thought was just an awesome name. Just, I mean, uh, and the problem was the card that we were going to put Faceless Butcher on came back and it had a face on it. So it's very hard to call a card Faceless Butcher that has a face because the pulp, the, I would get lots of letters going, Faceless Butcher, but it has a face. So we couldn't use it. So I knew I wanted to use it. So I said to Ray, because Ray, Ray was in charge of names for the step, but I told him I wanted to use Faceless Butcher, and Ray, Ray agreed with me. Um, so in the art description we wrote for this set, for this card, literally the art description is, this is we, we named it Faceless Butcher, and it goes, important, this creature does not have a face. So finally we got a Faceless Butcher. Um, the card ended up being very good. It was one of the defining nightmare cards. Um... The one shenanigan with it was there was a trick with all the nightmare cards where if you could remove the creature uh, in response to the ability going on the stack, you could make it such that you could remove the creature but have have the creature gone, the faceless butcher or the nightmare gone before the ability that would bring it back would be there. Anyway, it's tricky rule stuff. Um, anyway, uh, we're, we're working uh, modern day. We were trying to fix that problem with. Uh, oblivion ring and such so, so that uh, one of the things we want is um, we like some cleverness to go on but um, the, the goal is that usually when you can do something and your opponent like questions whether you can do it and you have to explain that you can do it and th- th- we don't want too much where like your opponent really, like, like thinks you're trying to pull one off on them um, so we've been trying to avoid stuff like that um, I, I, I like having clever stuff and I like having stuff we have to figure out how to use it um, but it never really was the intent to make things go away forever. The intent was, look, it's supposed to come back. So, anyway, we've been changing that. Next is Flash of Defiance. Uh, 1R, um, players can't block with green or white creatures. And it has a flashback of 1R and 3 life. So this is part of the deep analysis uh, cycle. Okay, so why do I bring this card up? Let me repeat what, what it did once again. 1R, um, I believe it is a sorcery. Uh, players can't block with green or white creatures. What? Okay, well, red obviously has the ability to make things not block. That's a red ability. But let's look closely. Can green and white creatures can't block. What's so odd about that? Well, what card is casting this? Red. Who are red's enemies? White and blue. Wait a minute. Red is not going after its own enemies. It's going after black's enemies. And so... Red is actually doing something negative to its own ally. That is very atypical. We do not normally do that. But because we are in a set in which it was about black, we decided we would let black and blue have a little bit of hate against their own. So what we did is 
we had it be two colors, so one of the colors it normally hated, and the other color for this set it hated. Um, and so that's another way we sort of got a little bit of the, the feel of the black on it. That, that was another important part. How are we doing on time? Okay, we are past... So we are past the half an hour mark, and I'm still not at work. I'm, I'm getting closer. Um, oh, rain. Oh, Seattle and rain. Okay, luckily for you guys, I got lots to talk about. Okay, so the next one we're going to talk about is Grim, Grim Lavamancer. So that was a 1-1 one, one for red, single red. Um, and for red and tap, you could exile two cards from your graveyard to deal two to target creature or player. I mean, I'm sorry, red and a tap and exile two cards. So this is one of the cards that use the graveyard as a resource. Like I said, we really pushed it here um, because we had a lot of enablers that got stuff in the graveyard, and we liked having the tension with Threshold. I mean, looking back in retrospect, I'm not sure that's the kind of tension I'd want at this level. Um, but I, one of the reasons I think the set is very popular for the spiky crowd is there's a lot of decisions to make, a lot of little fine-tuned things. And Grim Lava Mancer, why is that so hard to say? Grim Lava Mancer went on to be a pretty good card, very good limited, and I, I'm pretty sure it's also constructed play. Um, but uh, like I said, we, we, it's us pushing. Um, Red also, by the way, had the trouble of all the discard was random, and so people tended to shy away from that. And so uh, some of the red graveyard stuff ended up being decent. So there were a lot of people in limited especially where they tended to go because they tended to shy away from the, the discard cards. Next is Grotesque Hybrid. Hold a second. I'm going to take a drink because my talking, a lot of talking today because it's a long trip. Got to keep lubricated if you're going to do a podcast. A little tip for people out there who want to do a podcast. You got to drink a lot of water. And, and by the way, don't drink sugary things. Uh, you you want to... One of the things that happens when you talk for a long period of time... See, I actually taught classes in public speaking in my uh, communication school. Um, when you speak for a long time, you're actually inflaring your larynx. Um, it's a, you're using a muscle in your throat, and that uh, too much juice actually sort of can... Um, I mean, you're using it, and your, your throat is actually kind of a delicate little thing. Um, it is a muscle, though, but the more you use it, the sort of the stronger it'll get. That's why um, people who speak a lot, you know, get stronger sort of throat muscles and have an easier time, um, which means I should be, I should have a strong throat muscle. Um, but anyway, one of the things you want to make sure is you want to make sure to keep it uh, moist, that talking um, sort of pulls the moisture out of it and that you need moisture to sort of keep it lubricated. So it is very important when public speaking to make sure that you have uh, liquid, especially water. Water is usually what we recommend. I'm a giant fan of water, so I have my big... I, I have a giant cup that I used to I travel with. That I, uh, it, it's called, I call it my Bubba because that's the name of the cup. Uh, anyway, I've now told you probably more than you ever need to know about why I drink water. Okay, Grotesque Hybrid. So Grotesque Hybrid is uh, cost four and a black. Uh, it is a... I can write down how big it is. I think it's a 3-3. Three, three. Um, it is... So it has kind of Death Touch. This is before Death Touch existed. Um, when it damaged a creature, it killed it. Much like Death Touch. Although it had in the No Regen Clause. So it's, it's, it's Death Touch that sort of, you know, buried things, if you will, to use old school magic language, which meant I destroy you and you can't be regenerated. So it also hosed regenerators. There's a period in time where we were just ho- hosing regenerators left and right, we finally said, why are we hosing regenerators? Like, are regenerators causing us all these problems? No. Um, and so we stopped hosing regenerators as a sort of default. And then every once in a while we do, but it, it, it's no longer... People often ask me why we don't bring the, the term berry back. 
very meant to destroy and can't be regenerated. And I said, A, we had too many vocabulary words and it wasn't used enough. But also, we've kind of been shifting away from destroying can't be regenerated. So there's not a lot of call for using Barry, um, for those that wonder. Anyway, Grotesque Hybrid is a 4B death touch creature um, that you can discard a card to give it pro, green, and white. Um, and uh, so, once again, we really were playing up that black was going after its enemies, that there is a very strong black hates white and green thing. Now, normally black hates white and green. We make cards that do that all the time. But uh, you'll see white and green individually fighting against black, not against their... like um, White, normally, black is an enemy and red is an enemy. But red doesn't go after... White doesn't go after red in this set. It just goes after black. Likewise, um, green normally is enemies with black and blue, but green doesn't go after blue. Green only goes after black. But since white... And green are black's enemies, and they are the opposite in this set. To play up the conflict between black and green-white, um, black does go after green and white, where white and green only go after black. Um, little trivia question. Uh, the creature gains protection from green, protection from white. Why is green first? Why isn't white first? Little, little, uh, so the answer is the same reason that when you have a multicolor spell that's green and white, the green comes first. Um, there is an order for every color, every color combination there is an order. Um, the way it works in two-color, I think this works in three-color too, but two-color I know for sure, is that every color is first twice and every color is second twice. And the way you can tell what order to go is if you start at the top of the color wheel, which is white, um, if you go around the color wheel, clockwise around the color wheel, pick your color and then go clockwise. So for example, if you pick white and go clockwise, um, you will hit blue and black. Um, but if you have to go more than two away, um, then you, you have to go to the other place. So white, and, white is, to get to red, is go more than two, and to go to green, is go more than two. So that way you start with them. You never have to go more than two away. So red and white starts with red, and green and white starts with green. Um, anyway, if you look and balance it, 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 it it's equalized, that um, you always come first for the color that goes directly after you, counter, counter, I'm sorry, not counter, clockwise. You, it's you, and then the color goes directly after you clockwise, and the color goes two after you clockwise. If you're more than um, two clockwise, then they come first to make sure that you're always within two. So more than you need to know. See, how informative, what to drink, how to write color things, all sorts of stuff you learn here. Okay, I'm getting close to work, so we'll fit in a few more. Hypnox. So Hypnox is uh, 8 black, black, black. Blackity, blackity, black. Uh, it is an 8-8. Eight, eight, and it is a nightmare creature that nightmares your opponent's hand. So this is very typical. We didn't have mythic rares at the time. This would be mythic rare if we had. Uh, it was a rare. Um, where, for example, we had a card that went after um, just a, a, a card in your opponent's hand. Um, but this is kind of up in the game. And one of the things we like to do with our rare and mythic rares, especially mythic rares now, is just like, push it to the nth degree. What can I go after? Fine. Nightmares remove something. Well, what's something giant and big? How about your hand? Your entire hand. And it's an 8-8. Eight, eight. Um, and the idea is for 8 and black, 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 for you know 11 mana, you should have a creature that your opponent has some trouble dealing with. And so it's like, hey, I have an 8-8 eight, eight and you have no spells. Please deal with me. Um, anyway, I like, I like Hypnox a lot. And uh, um, it's a kind of card that I know... I have confidence that people will like, you know, it, it, it's, what we, it's a Timmy card, you know. Um, it's a little expensive for Spike to have any real, realism of playing it, other than um, uh, there might have been some reanimation with Hypnox. 
in fact, he's probably a decent, assuming you had some good reanimation, he's a decent target um, for reanimation. Um, anyway, uh, but Hypnox, I like Hypnox. He, he definitely, he, I, it is fun to do over the top. You know, it's like, it's expensive and just does crazy things. People enjoy that quite a bit. And so we tried to do it. Next is Icarid. So you'll notice, by the way, I'm talking about a lot of black and apparently blue cards. Um, mostly because a lot of the major players of the set were black. That was on purpose, like I said last time. Not only did black have more cards, you know, more as-fan of cards, it's literally more cards. Uh, well, actually, it both had more cards, it had more as-fan of cards, we pushed it down rarity, and um, it had more high-power cards that when we developed sets, we could only push so many cards, but the team made sure to push more black cards than normal. Okay. Icarid costs three and a black. It's, oh, I didn't write down. It's three one. It's a three one haste creature. Um, and at end of turn, you sack it. But, uh, beginning of your upkeep, you can exile a black creature card in your graveyard to bring it back. And so the idea is, it's a creature that can just keep coming back. And that, you know, your opponent can kill it, but there's no, there's no reason to kill it. It's going to die in a turn anyway. So, there's not a lot of good answers for your opponent. Like, killing it doesn't solve the problem. It just keeps coming back. Um, and Icarid was a very good card. It definitely saw a lot of play. Um, now, Icarid is interesting in that uh, Icarid's what I call a Spike Johnny card. Uh, I'm not... Yeah, Spike Johnny. Uh, Spike in that, look, it's just a very powerful card. It's very useful against um, creature destru- destruction. So the Spikes are just like, okay, I'll, I'll use it effectively, and I'll beat them down with my Icarid. The Johnnies say, oh, I have a creature that I know is going to go away every turn, but I get it. So every turn, or I can get it, um, what do I want to do with that? What are interesting things I could do with a creature that I know is going to die every turn? And there's some fun stuff you can do with it. I mean, the well, first level has to do with sac effects, but there's a lot more stuff. You can, you can have more fun than that if you, uh, if you get creative. Um, so Icarid, by the way, um, a lot of people talk about uh, when we gave Black Haste around the time of Future Sight, um, we, re- we shifted around the abilities and we started putting... Um, some of the keywords in secondary colors that hadn't really been used in secondary colors. Um, one of the things about it, which is funny, is when I originally put black in, sorry, put haste in black, a lot of people were like, haste in black? That doesn't make any sense. And then I would bring up cards like, like Icarid. There was a bunch of um, uh, returns from graveyard black cards that had haste on them. Alpha had one. I mean, this card has one. Uh, and that, you know, it was used in a very particular circumstance, but I felt like black has fast, creepy, crawly things, and I, anyway... I thought Black did a good job of doing some stuff with haste that Red would not do. Flyers being most obvious. Next, Major Tarot. Uh, 3W for a... Uh, I didn't write down. Is he 4-4? Four, four? I think he's a 4-4 four, four creature. Uh, he's a flyer. Or no, he's a 3-3 three, three creature? I don't know. Sometimes I don't write down. I, he must be a 3... For 3W, three he must be a 3-3. Three, three, I think 4-4 four, four might be slightly too good. Um, so 3W, I think he's a 3-3 three, three creature. He flies... Um, for three white and white, you can sack him and exile all black cards, all black creatures. Um, so that's definitely a case of, I mean, he was a major player in the story, or he was a character in the story. Um, one of the things we tried to do is, there's a lot of black in the set, a lot of, you know, pro-black. So white and green have a bunch of black hate. Um, we knew a lot of people would be playing black and limited, so we wanted to have some answers to that. Uh, black was very powerful, so we wanted to give some answers to black. So this set both has powerful black threats and some white weapons uh, to, you know, white, white, white and green answers to black. Okay. 
the final one of today because I'm getting close to work. Once again, uh, because I am late for my meeting, in fact, I'm like five minutes late for my meeting, which I do not like to be, and because I'm doing my podcast, well, uh, I, I, normally if I was late in my car, I could call um, the team lead and tell them that I'm going to be late, but I can't do that because I'm on my podcast with you guys. So they don't even know. They're like, Mark is late. Where is he? They don't know. And I just missed my light. Ugh. Anyway, well, I guess you guys get another card. Um, but uh, when, this, when this ends abruptly, uh, I'm not done yet. I'm obviously in the M's. So when I get to work, I'm just going to park. Um, I will abruptly say goodbye. And I have, we have at least one more uh, podcast because I have not finished yet. Um, although I made a good chunk of the way through. I, I knew this was going to be two podcasts, although I did not anticipate to get as far as I have all, all the way through M's. So next, next time I'll have to uh, elaborate on some of the stuff. So I'm going to do one last card to save stuff for next time because I, I need to have a podcast full of stuff next time. Hopefully tomorrow it won't rain. If it, rain, if it, if it rains, uh, I, I do this consecutively when I'm... For you guys, it'll be, well, either it'll be later today or it'll be uh, next week. Um, I do this consecutively so I don't forget what I said. Um, but I have one more card. I will finish up with one card. Uh, and then I'm going to quickly run in for my meeting. So the last card is Mind Sludge. Four, four in a black, it's a sorcery, and your opponent has to discard a card for each swamp you have. Um, this is like a ball coffers. It's another one in the blackity black theme where it just wants you to play lots of black. Um, this set, actually, one of our goals of the set was to make a mono black viable in constructed. That we're like, if we're going to have a black set, well then, we need to have a viable mono black deck. And we did. It was quite good. Um, and Mind Sludge was one of the major players in that deck. Um, because 4B often, it's often just your opponent loses their hand, because, you know, in a mono-black deck, if I, if I can play 4B, odds are I have five swamps, so they're going to lose five cards. By fifth turn, odds are they don't have much more than five cards, usually wipes their hand. So Mind Sludge turned out to be a very good card. Um, Cabal Coffers was a really good card. Card I'll talk about next time called Mutilate was a very good card. So, uh, mono-black had a lot of tools to really, um, be effective. Um, so, but anyway... Um, I am coming close to Wizards. Uh, this is part one. I, I believe I will have one more podcast talking about um, uh, cards. Of I, I, I'm in the M, so I believe it will just be one more. Um, anyway, Torment, like I said, was an interesting experiment because of all the stuff it did with Black. I will talk more about that tomorrow. Um, but as much as I have enjoy talking to all you guys, uh, I'm late, and it's time for me to hurry and go... Be making magic. Talk to you guys next time.